Hi, I'm Rich Wynn. And I'm Rebecca Nixon. And this is the PropTech Growth Podcast. Every episode, we interview an expert in the PropTech startup space, gathering their advice and expertise to help you run a successful PropTech business. I'm the portable PropTech CMO, and I help PropTech startups build and scale their commercial growth strategy. I'm Rich from Richwin Consultancy. I specialize in operations, sales, and process, helping fintechs and PropTech companies to grow. Thank you very much, Rich. Rebecca, lovely meeting both. My journey. Uh, I qualified as a barrister in 1982, never intended to practice law, but I thought it would be a great educational start, and got a job on a building site as a labourer. Within three weeks, I was working with the two directors as a director in the business. I bought a property with them, and we did did this during the early 80s, developed properties in London, built houses in uh, London, converted flats, the usual sort of thing one would do. We had a property crash in 89, which was horrendously severe. It makes the crashes we've had recently seem like tea parties. It was bitter, bitterly difficult in 1990, and no development was going on, no banks were lending money. So we were looking for something to do ourselves. And I got sent a set of property details of a property called 10 Roselle Road in Clapham, and it was up for sale by private treaty through an estate agent. And I remember it gone through an auction, or I thought it had gone through an auction six months previously. I went through a massive pile of catalogues we had in the office, found the property, phoned the auctioneer up and said, could you tell me what happened to 10 Roselle Road? I gave them the lot number. They said, we don't really keep results. I said, you must know, because after the auction, you would tell me what it's available at. We had bought and sold properties at auction by this stage. And she said, that's all in the bidding book. That's in the safe and the keys are in the auctioneer's pocket and he's out to lunch. He won't be back till tomorrow morning. And that really frustrated me. And I said to my two colleagues, are we the only people who want to know what's happened in the past at auctions? We all figured we weren't. So we quickly went out to WH Smith and bought three clipboards, three burrows and a pad of paper and decided we would go to every auction in London and write down what properties sold for. And if we didn't sell, go and ask the auctioneer after the event what they're available at. And so we would then sell a report at this back in 1990. There was no fax machines around. The fax machines were just coming out and we got a guy to write some software to sit on a computer where we could submit a list of fax numbers and the fax and the computer would send a fax out to all our subscribers. And that's really how the business started. I always felt that the technology was going to be my friend here. And very quickly we started doing fax back for the auction results. So you could dial a number from your fax machine and get the results sent back to you. In 92, we developed a system whereby members of the public could dial a a number and listen to the auction live so they could follow the auction. By 95, we started a database so that you could say, I'm interested in houses which have sold in Guildford, for example, a very elementary database which sat on the client's machine and we'd update it once a week by a, a disc being sent out. But by 96, we had a website and we were one of the first websites in the world. I remember reading an article the day we went live in the um, Financial Times and it said there are now over 30,000 websites worldwide and this number is set to grow. That was a pretty sharp sharp observation that there were going to be more than 30,000 websites. Anyway, I was very pleased to think we're one of those. And from there, we've gone on to provide a range of services for auctioneers. We developed a system for hosting legal documents. Before you bid at auction, you need to look at the legal pack. And we set up a website whereby auctioneers could upload legal documents for each lot and members of the public could register to download and see what's on those documents. And that's growing to be a pretty big side of our business. Since we started, we've had over 1.2 million people register 
to look at legal documents over the last 27 years or however long it is. We've uploaded 200, over 200,000 documents for all the lots that have been offered since then. And this is a staggering figure. We've had over 30 million documents downloaded from when we started. And I think we've basically saved the planet because that would be a lot of paper being sent out in the post. And that's what used to happen before we started this. People used to pay 25 quid on a credit card and the, the, the uh, auction house would photocopy the legal pack as they had it and send it out. But of course, you're only seeing what they had. The extra documents coming later, you wouldn't know about them. And the other main milestone for us is in 14, we went live with an online auction platform, eBay style. And since then, we've sold over 35,000 properties on it and had over 700,000 bids placed. So that's the way forward now is, is online auctions. Room auctions are becoming a thing of the past. Although we do a lot of live stream, which works very well. The auctioneer sits or stands in front of a camera in his office, very occasionally in, in a room with the public. That's quite rare now. And of course, the bids and people can register to bid online. So there's a wide variety of ways property has been offered at auction now. Something that we've touched on before, COVID must have wiped out a lot of people actually turning up to auctions yeah. and, and doing that sort of thing. Just before Christmas, I was like everybody following in the news. And when I saw Woham being locked down, I had a meeting with some of my guys here and said, look, if this COVID thing comes to England and we get locked down, there are going to be no room auctions. It's all going to be online. So just before Christmas 2019, we started building websites for most of the auctioneers so that if it did happen, we could have it on the shelf and say, there you go, get going with it. And we wrapped this up and by mid-February, we had built a website for basically every auctioneer just in case. It didn't take long to do, just brand it up. And when Boris said those are mortal words, you must stay at home, my phone rang off the hook. And in the first week, we got 60 auctioneers up and running live, holding auctions. And by and large, everybody's continued doing it that way. Very few people have gone back to the room. Barnum Marcus has gone back to the room for the last year. Also, we're going to go back to the room. But then the RMT decided to have a rail strike, so they postponed going back to the room. And I think that just shows how perhaps vulnerable you are to things completely outside your control. A virus, COVID and, and rail strikes. And quite a few auctioneers have said they're never going to go back to the room. They're going to stay online. They find it so much better, easier to run. There's more transparency. They get fantastic data feedback because they can see exactly who's registered a bit on what lot, where, where their limit was. And we provide them after the event with a huge amount of data, which they can use for analysis purposes. But there will be people who are going back to them and they're getting on well. So it's, it's a bit of everything, really. What's amazing to me is almost your foresight. You saw it coming and everyone knew it was going to come, but you actually did something about it. Because if you think about those 60 websites that hadn't been made, the auction industry could have just fallen off a cliff. It might have had a bump in the road. We would have caught up with it. They would have found a way around yeah, it. Of course. Yeah. It, I've got such a fantastic team here. That first week, we were starting at seven in the morning, not finishing till 11 at night. They did a fantastic job. And uh, yeah, and the auctioneers rallied around and bought into new techniques. You know, some had told me just sort of a month before, we're never going to go online. It's got to be in the room. And they embraced it. So it was a win for everybody, really. And proud to be a part of it. And you're also part of uh pitfalls yes indeed i alluded to how we've provided this document room service for the auctioneers because on the fall of the gavel 
there is generally an exchange of contracts. So you have bought the property. So you've got to be absolutely sure as to the legal position of the property when you're bidding at auction. And so by hosting the legal documents, potential bidders can read through the documents, get the lawyers to check them, raise any inquiries they've got. And anybody who's listening to this and thinking of buying at auction, it is absolutely crucial you go through that legal pack with a fine tooth comb. And let me say this, the most important document in the legal pack is the one which isn't there. The one which has been left out deliberately because it's got bad news. So if you're thinking, hang on, I want to know about this, phone up and find out where it is. A good example would be you're thinking of buying a flat and there's no service charge report or management documents for the maintenance of property. Why not? Are there horrendous arrears? You've got to ask a question. And if a document isn't forthcoming, you've got to think, should I bid or not on that? And that's really important to make sure you're aware of the legal back. It never ceases to amaze me how if I was to go and buy a car today, I'd find a car and say auto trader. I'd go down to the garage. I would have a test drive. Then the salesman would say, do you want to have a look at the book, the service history, the logbook, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure it's not on HPI. It's not a crash write off. I'd do all that. And then I'd say, yeah, everything seems to be on order and paperwork. I'd like to bid you 10,000 pounds for the car. When we get to the property, you see a property on right move. You go and see it with an estate agent. You wander around. You say, this is lovely. We could do this and that and everything else to it. Oh, I'll give you £250,000 for this house. You haven't got a Scooby's what's in the legal pack. You don't know whether there's been a row with a neighbour. You don't know whether somebody's got a right of way of your drive. All these matters, and yet you're making a bid. And then six, eight, ten weeks down the line, oh, I didn't know about that. If I'd known, I wouldn't have offered that man's money. And then the renegotiation starts or you walk away. It's bonkers. The property industry do it completely the wrong way round, in my view. The car trade don't. So we set up PIPs as an extension of what we do in the auction world to allow an estate agent to have a document room where the vendor, the estate agent, their solicitors, etc., can upload relevant documents, which every buyer to a, or viewer of the property to a greater or lesser extent could look at and read and understand what's going on and then make a judgment. For instance, they look at the TA6, which is a questionnaire the vendors have to fill out. There's one question which basically says, have you had a row with your neighbour? And if it said in there, yes, we ended up in court because my neighbour knocked me out, then you're probably thinking, do I really want to live there? Am I going to put an offering on a place like this? Whereas under the current system, you might not see the TA6 until 10 weeks after your offer's been made. You might look at the title deeds and say, hang on, this is not a main strain. It's got a cesspit in the garden. I don't want one of those and all the smells which go with it. I'm not going to buy it. So the current system is that you see a property, you make an offer, and then in dribs and drabs, and it is dribs and drabs over the next 10, 12, 15 weeks, documents we fed through piecemeal from the vendor solicitor when they can decide to get it together, containing information which would give you a different view on the property. And ultimately you might say, after 10 weeks, I'm walking away from here because I don't like what I read. And yet it was all available to read or could should be upfront when the property comes on the market. So PIP is property information products. And we see a situation whereby, and why wouldn't you want to start looking through some of the documents about the property? The TA6 tells you who owns the boundaries, are there any rights away, all the things you want to know before you make an offer. And yet you might not see that until eight, ten weeks after you, your offer has been accepted, and there'll be information in there which says, I'm walking away. So we hear about properties falling through actually it's because people are reading in the legal documents or the solicitors are telling them news that they don't want to hear and they decide not to buy so if every property and i think it will become 
it, it's it's moving down uh, to be mandatory i think in some stage in the future got properties when they go on the market have to have some documents for for the public to read if it's bad news in there get it out early let's not all waste time and think oh somebody's offered 250 grand for my property i hope they don't read the bit about Ida row with a neighbor last year they're gonna read it so get it up front get it out manage the bad news or the not so good news in a measured way where you say by the way there was this dispute but he's now moved on or whatever or yet we, we did have an issue with the right of way we've now resolved that and here's the paperwork it's much better it's managed in that way than having the, the purchaser's solicitor discover it 10 15 weeks down the line so that's what we're doing and it, it, it's gaining traction now it's not a blame game or anything like that that i'm suggesting but who where does this land with it lands with obviously the agents and the conveyances working together i'm part of the home buyer and sellers group and on this particular issue and they're trying to make something work but it does take all sides to want to be able to do it it does take the public to actually want to see this mm. rather than be bored of filling in forms before or when they're selling the property or one agent says oh you don't have to fill anything in like with come with me the other one's saying you have to fill in all these documents at, at the start and they then may have questions for the agents and the agents aren't conveyances so how would they know like what to put on a ta6 or ta7 in particular with the leasehold and, and all that side of it what do you see as the answer to that well it's an education part and, and i think it's going to become mandatory that you have to have this documentation available or, or uh, an amount of it available why we career into spending six seven digits on a property making an offer not know scoobies about it apart from the fact it's got a lovely kitchen and the garden sunny there's so much more to property than just the state of the kitchen and the garden and 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 it's all documented somewhere and you will not exchange contracts until your solicitor is satisfied that all the information he needs to make sure you've seen and read is there so let's get it going now I've, I've actually been putting together and it's just about there now a legal pack for my house so i've got no intention of selling it but if i did i can say there's the document there's all the title there are the guarantees for the new boilers we put in there's the building control sign off etc because you sell i don't plan to sell for 10 years in 10 years you might not be able to find the necessary documents or the sign-offs etc and then you got to, and the company who did the work has gone bust so you can't go to them you could be delayed six eight weeks just convincing somebody it is okay so it's really important to do it at your leisure than when you're under pressure to do it because you're trying to sell the house and the buyer's going to pull out unless you can get the document done well, yes. we're doing that we've got no intention of ever selling but one day i'm not going to be here <laughs> and whoever has to deal with the house if it's my child or friend or family member yeah. i don't want them to have to deal with trying to rifle through 20 30 40 years of paperwork it all needs to be somewhere yeah. digital easy to access easy to understand so i think every single person who owns a property needs to do this sort of due diligence so yeah, yeah must have right. not a nice to have i say just look at what we do we keep all the bills for our cars in one place and the house is worth 10 20 30 times more than the car and we just yeah. don't have it and when you come to sell it it's an issue and again i think we touched on this before david obviously you're doing it for auctions and have done for a very long time obviously Zoopla with the acquisition of your keys for pretty much every new build goes through that which again i know new build they've got all the information up front and it's a much quicker and slicker process and everybody's involved in that 
And I think that it's time for the secondhand market to get on board with that. And I do agree on the education piece. I think it's who is going to actually step forward and educate because obviously we've all lived through hips, which didn't come to anything. When you're selling your house, can you actually be bothered to do something up front where it's going to come out in the solicitors anyway? Yes, all right, 80% drops off, but that still means that 70% doesn't drop off. So are you willing to pay your money, take your chance? Who is leading this fight as such at the the moment to change the hearts and minds of agents, conveyances and and the public in general? Who, Who should it be? Everybody moans about how long it takes to buy a property. And yet vast majority guilty of not having done what we can easily do is get the documentation ready for that day and keep it up to date you have a boiler service just pop pop the invoice in the file um it's not difficult but everybody moans this one's to you rebecca from a marketing perspective how would you put this forward because it's almost it needs some brand marketing but what is the brand or who is that person that can market it where do you see that coming from Yeah, I think the B2B marketing piece here is the strong sell because B2C is impossible to get people to pay for anything if you're talking about something like an online file storage. uh, No matter how sophisticated and incredibly helpful it's going to be for them in five years' time, they are not going to pay for that, obviously, and they probably don't need to. I think what we're looking at here is a really strong B2B proposition because who has the biggest stake in speeding up the conveyancing process? Agents. There are a number of other interested parties as well, but I think more than ever, it's going to be agents who have the biggest stake. They're the ones who are hemorrhaging time and money when things go slowly. I'm happy to be challenged on that assumption, but I think in terms of getting things moving really quickly, from the the get-go, these agents should be investing in the platforms that make their jobs easier and faster. And I think the sort of value prop around that has to be a comparison internationally. The agents can drive it because the the vendor goes as a consumer to the agent looking for advice. How many times do you hear, oh, the solicitor's waiting for the searches to come in? So we're, we're working with agents, we'll fund the purchase of the searches from day one so they're in there straight away personal searches subject to them agreeing in the mos memorandum sale is a clause the buyer will pay 250 pounds to the vendor estate agent which comes on to us for the searches but i think everybody knows somebody who's waiting to buy a house and they're just waiting for one last document my sister-in-law was selling her house the other day and it beat the vendor had uh, purchased it must have dragged out on about 20 weeks. It came to the day of exchange and at 10 o'clock, you said, oh, can I see the alarm service contract? On the morning of exchange, it fell out of bed. But there is a need. You will not sell your property until you've got all these documents in line, in place. Just get them ready now and you can add to them. We all file our MOT and service history away for our cars. Now, why wait? Why pay a solicitor £300 an hour to remind you to fill out a form or find the gas certificate. I'm racking my brain for who I spoke to, but they'd done a a survey. I think it was on like 500 or a thousand agents as to which thing gives you the most excitement. And it was listing a property, getting the for sales board on that property, 
or the property completing. They want to list the property and that gives them the biggest kick. We're going to have to delay your ecstasy because we actually now need this document before we can do it. And they already have a lot of documents to go through in order to get that. Almost changing hearts and minds. And there is a change there. And I think technology has a part to play in that. I always bang on about inventory base and Steve Rad because they've got something in place that an agent can use. It's got all the schema and you can fill out a, a PIQ and then all that just pulls across into the BASB or the TA6, TSM, TA10, whatever. And the technology is there to do it. It's almost sit down and convince agents, agent by agent, in order to be able to do that. I don't think a broad brushstroke is going to get agents to change. We've actually spoken to Tim Main on this podcast um, and I've obviously spoken to Tim Main about a few things in, in, in general. And I, I agree, it, it's the right thing to do. And it is that storage. And I've got the, the folder somewhere of the car stuff and the gas stuff and the electricity stuff and the boiler and all that sort of stuff. And you do need it. I, but I think to, and I, I'm not blaming agents at all. That's absolutely right. And the agent is in the uh, great place of being somebody the vendor trusts. Tr he's trusted them with selling the house. So the vendors will listen to them and there are a range of documents which are required before they can exchange contracts and that's the end goal really is getting the exchange away and the completion date set and and until those documents are in it ain't going to happen so the agent is best placed to say really i know you're busy do get this ta6 built in or whatever because you're going to need it and if it's think i'll have a look through it if it's things i think might cause a bit of a ricket we can manage them now rather than getting lawyers at 350 pound an hour to decide what they're going to do and the vendor will be grateful that the agent's helping them sell the biggest asset they've got. And it's a, it's a legal minefield and the agent with his experience or her experience can guide them through that way and develop a sort of a bond. And I wouldn't consider any other agent in the area and tell their friends about them. The agents could really leverage a position of just saying, go and find your gas safe certificate for the last 10 years. And they call that's, that's good advice. I'll do that. Yeah, and if they can use that as a selling point, if they can say, do you know that we actually exchange twice as fast on average because we have a process that we can take you through and we'll hold your hand the whole way yeah. and customers hear that and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, great, because I know how these things go. Yeah. It's a really strong selling point. The agent doesn't get paid until there's an exchange or completion. And he could, he could, he can vary that and the, the longer the delay happens the more people change their mind or or a third party comes in and makes an offer and, and throws everything out of kilter you are going to have to get these documents before you have an exchange of contracts so get them up front and save everybody a lot of time that's the bottom line really i still i, I think there is a play within this industry that is in prop tech in general that goes straight to the consumer i don't know what it is uh, if i did i would launch a company and do it but I've got a feeling in the next sort of two to three years, somebody is going to come across and say, this is our play to straight to the consumer. Yeah. And I think that will be really interesting. Obviously, not, not the same model as Purple Bricks. but no, you know. it'll, it'll be somebody who comes in with a really simple online platform, probably an app where you can, oh, every time you have a bill for the house, done every time you get something done on the, every time you get a document come through every time you have a change of band every single time anything happens with your house you take a picture of it on your phone it goes into the cloud 
um, the data is parsed um, using some sort of machine learning or algorithm. And then all that information is stored in the cloud. The B2B play for that business will be selling that data to the industry. The B2C will be a free app for you to manage everything, everything to do with your house, keep it all online. It'll be someone who gets the VC funding to do a massive B2C campaign. They'll do Facebook ads, Instagram ads, targeting people who have looked at Zoopla recently or any number of different potential buying signals online. Yeah, and that's the sort of thing that from a certain generation onwards of, of homeowners and buyers, they would, myself included, wouldn't even think twice about using a product like that whereas my parents wouldn't even think to get that themselves if they were if they were working with an agent and the agent encouraged them to do it they would totally do it but they wouldn't proactively engage with a platform like that whereas I absolutely would and there's a gamut of people in between and not to pigeonhole people based on their age of course but there is a spectrum of proactive engagement with technology and it skews young and you will get over time there'll there'll be a sweet spot in time where it becomes very viable to put out a b2c campaign and people will use the product the b2b play is for financial viability because there won't be any b2c revenue generated by an app like that although what you could have there rebecca and just listening came to mind you could have a situation whereby to store the documents in the app is completely free of charge but you could have a sort of an additional service whereby for a fee and it's not binding on the person who gives it somebody could check through what you've put make sure that the things in the and come up with suggestions that you do to make it more friendly i'm not planning to sell my house anytime soon but i'd love to pay x amount have somebody go through all my documents say this might come if you're coming to sell the house this might be an issue you might want to do something about this mm, yeah um, definitely or, or you're missing the guarantee for that window so Now's the time to go and find it rather than five years' time when the firm's gone bust. And, and you're sale ready then as well. When you come to sell it, you're saying to the state agent, I'm sale ready. The agent's going to love that if all your legal mm -hmm. documents are in place. Listening to all that, I'm just thinking, obviously, accountancy, that was a very paper-based, wait till the 10th of January and then send in all your receipts and all that sort of stuff. And now you've got your zeros and and the, the sage and all that sort of stuff. As soon as I get a receipt, petrol, whatever, train ticket, just put it on zero. My accountant's got accountant's got access to that. It's all there, just matches itself up and done automatically. So maybe that's the it's very similar to, to what's there, but I think I can't think there's that many self-employed people that don't use something like that, either to do it themselves or through to other accountants. So that's quite interesting. Is there anything else you you would say to, obviously you've got incredibly sex, successful businesses, Dave, is there any anything you would say to in the prop tech world or anyone starting up now, what would be your advice? I think COVID has dramatically changed the auction industry. The barriers to entry for becoming an auctioneer, if you think back be, before COVID, if you want to be an auctioneer, you had to have a venue, you had to have an auctioneer, you had to have a catalogue, you had to have all that. Now anybody can be an auctioneer or, or run it run an auction because it run eBay style we have we're taking on we're finding a lot of estate agents now are, are bolting an auction arm to their business because they don't need the catalog they don't need the vendor or the auctioner it's just a way of collecting bids and seeing who's prepared to pay the most for a property David that was really interesting 
And so I, I really enjoyed speaking to you the first time that I spoke to you as well. I think I could throw even Pioneer out there um, for you with, with, with some of the stuff that you've, you've done. And, and, and I've got a great team. I've got a really good team. And we collectively, we all listen to what the industry is saying and try and make it happen. I love it when somebody phones up. Have you thought of doing this? Great idea. I'm straight on to one of the devs and getting it going. Without the team, I'd have nothing. No. Thanks for joining us on the PropTech Growth Podcast. To learn more, you can find us on LinkedIn or email proptechpodcast at icloud.com. See you next time.